From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter, and joining us this week is financial services reporter Jim Saxa. Hey guys, thanks for having me. So Congress is still struggling to find a bipartisan solution to provide about $251 billion in additional funding for these forgivable small business loans that are known as the Paycheck Protection Program. Jim, can you explain what this program is and why there's disagreement about providing more funding for these loans? Yeah, so this program is one of the linchpins to the CARES Act response to keep the economy alive while we're doing all the quarantining to slow the spread of COVID-19 here. So the critical thing about this program is it's uh, set up so that small businesses can get up to uh, two and a half months worth of payroll in a forgivable loan. And they can use that money to pay their employees and some uh, and for some other fixed costs like uh, paying their rent or the mortgage. And if they do that, if they follow the program's rules, they will be able to get the debt forgiven at the tail end of this, meaning they don't have to pay it back. So it basically works like a grant. Um, they set it up in this sort of convoluted way because they're building off of the Small Business Administration's uh, Section 7A uh, Small Business Loan Guarantee Program. Um, and that basically works uh, in the way of allowing small lenders, usually community banks and the such, to get a guarantee from the federal government for, for loans they make to small businesses. And in that regard, they're basically using all these banks and credit unions to administer the loans here so that acts a little bit quicker than the Small Business Administration itself could or Treasury or IRS in theory. There's but the money's already drying though. up, right? The money is already drying up. Um, so what we have here, uh, according to Larry Kudlow, who heads the White House National Economic Council, he said uh, last week that the money is projected to run out this week, and that's $349 billion. We're talking uh, like six times what the SBA usually does in a year, that is drying up in less than a month and more money is needed. Uh, I've talked to some economists who eyeballed that, uh, you know, back of uh, the napkin sort of calculation that 600 billion is probably more about what would be needed to uh, get all the small businesses, uh, the money that they need to basically stay afloat uh, during this. So the White House, went to Congress and asked for about that. They asked for $251 billion more. But Democrats have pushed back, and they have two issues there. One is they say that they want to ensure that uh, a portion of that money, about $60 billion, will get to um, underserved communities. So a lot of small businesses, uh, they don't have relationships with, quote-unquote, traditional lenders. Um a lot of like your small bodegas or immigrant uh, created uh, businesses, hair salons, that sort of thing, they don't, they didn't go to a community bank or, uh, or a large regional bank or, or anything like that to get the money they needed to, to get up and running. They went to 
maybe a community development financial institution or a minority development uh, uh, institution or just completely didn't use the traditional lending sector whatsoever. A lot of them go to uh, development corporations, community development corporations. And so what the Democrats want is to send, is to set aside uh, $60 billion uh, for, for that. And Republicans think that will convolute things. The other thing, of course, though, is they are all also asking for uh, $100 billion for uh, health care and another $150 billion for states. Um, and what that is, is the Democrats don't want to give up their leverage here, right? Um, especially on the progressive left side of the party when Pelosi and Schumer, who are basically running this whole thing, we should probably talk about that in a sec, but Pelosi and Schumer are the only two people really negotiating this. And if they get give up their leverage, if they just roll over and give this money, even though they agree that they want to get more money into this program, a lot of people say that they miss their opportunity to get money that they might not get later in a CARES Act 2.0 or Phase 4 or whatever you want to call it. And one of the things we heard this morning, we, we got another sort of dual statement from Speaker Pelosi and Senator Schumer, and it sounds like they're also concerned about data collection. Um, I'm sure we've all seen by now the reports that minority communities are getting higher, have higher infection rates and higher death tolls than non-minority communities. So it seems like that is starting to come into this discussion now as well. Um, especially given all the the concerns about testing. So that is going to be one of the things that um, we see throughout the week as well. The list of demands is getting longer and longer as these talks uh, stall. So it makes it harder to reconcile, even though both parties say they want more money for small businesses, right? I mean, it's just a matter of, of leverage and strategy, as you put it. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see, and I'm, I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, like. They came back with not just you know setting aside sixty billion of the two hundred fifty one billion, but you know that other money, and now they're talking about this. And pretty soon, you know, what was supposed to be a interim quickie fill up of this one program looks like we're getting into just a complete negotiation for another round of economic and other uh, issues. Uh, and I'm wondering if you know, that might get, you know, spin out of hand and we'll be in a situation where they're going to be negotiating a full package. I think in most other situations, it could spin out of hand, but I really think that this sort of tentative Friday deadline of these small business loans completely running out of money is going to force everyone to the table and force quick action this week. Um, I'm, I'm afraid to bet one way or the other on this. It seems so fluid. I mean, Yes, they want to get get this done before the money runs out, but maybe that just speeds up a broader package too. I mean, it's hard for me to read that. This is one of those situations where we definitely don't know what's happening until it happens. Uh, I think the sort of other interesting dynamic here is that Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin has been leading all the negotiations uh, for the White House and administration on this, and he has his hands pretty full not just uh, administering this program, but coordinating with the Fed on all of its extraordinary uh, new facilities. We're talking 
$454 billion were appropriated to the Treasury to backstop upwards of $4.5 trillion in emergency lending through the Fed. Plus, the IRS is administering the $1,200 checks. So the fact that he, again, would probably be, I mean, we know is, uh, he uh, talked with Schumer on Friday, um, you know, and is leading negotiations again on this interim thing. That's a lot for one guy uh, to handle. Plus, we know that the Treasury um, had a lot of unfulfilled positions uh, going into this. Yeah, I think the thing that's really important to remember with Secretary Mnuchin is that throughout his time with the Trump administration, he's really arguably become one of the most important, if not the most important, cabinet secretaries. When they were negotiating this last spending caps agreement and the debt limit extension, um, he became kind of the point person on that. And throughout those negotiations and the negotiations on the $2.3 trillion COVID-19 aid package and a lot of other interactions with Speaker Pelosi and Senator Schumer, Mnuchin has sort of built up this trust with them. And so they are comfortable negotiating with him and they all have a history together on working on legislation. And so I think that is sort of what you're seeing here, that yes, Treasury is in the middle of all of this and he's extremely busy, but he's also sort of the one person in the White House that Pelosi and Schumer are comfortable negotiating with and have built up that trust with. Right, Jen, that's a good, important point, because the reason we thought bipartisan talks would kick off again is precisely because Schumer had a phone call last Friday with Mnuchin and called it a very constructive call and then issued a statement saying, we can start bipartisan talks and there's no reason they can't be concluded by early this week, is what he said. And then over the weekend, what we had was the Republican leaders pushing back and saying, no, we're not interested in bipartisan talks yet. We want to do this Paycheck Protection Program first because the money's going to run out. And so there's the, there's the basic standoff on strategy here that, that can't be reconciled yet. Yeah, we definitely seem to be in some type of holding pattern today. Yeah, and I, I should add that the $150 billion for states, at the very least, I don't know anything about healthcare, and I'm not going to talk about that, but $150 billion for states is going to be critical because one of the huge mistakes that we saw in the 2008-2009 recession is that the states didn't get bailed out enough. And what we are seeing right now is state budgets are getting just absolutely shellacked. Uh, the you know tax revenues from sales tax are just dropping through the floor. A lot have uh, income taxes or municipalities have wage taxes. Uh, those are also getting hit. And at the same time, they're stepping up their spending on health care. They're, they're stepping up their spending on trying to save their economy. And if we don't step, if the federal government doesn't step in, you will see just a lot of states have to slash their budgets, which means huge employment cuts. And if that happens, we'll have a much slower recovery. We've already heard that, Jim, because over the weekend, the National Governors Association came out and said $150, $150 billion isn't going to cut it. And they're already asking for $500 billion for the states, not, not even counting the local governments, but just for the states to replenish lost tax revenue. So that's a big chunk that even Democrats haven't called for yet. And one other thing we might want to just point out quickly when talking about state budgets is that the federal government is really the only um, legislative body in the country that's allowed to run up deficits and debt. 
um, state state legislatures really have to balance their budgets. And a lot of them um, will be coming in for their sessions in January. So there is still a little bit of time um, to address this. But as you said, a lot of this money for testing and healthcare aid is you know, going out from state accounts now. So they may need additional funding sooner than when they meet to do their annual budgets during their annual legislative sessions. True. And I did talk to some state treasurers last week. The Federal Reserve set up a bond buying program, essentially, um, to buy upwards of 600 billion in, uh, or I'm sorry, 500 billion in bonds from state and local governments. Um, And that will help them essentially finance uh, some of this, but even there, they said, you know, it's it's not enough that they are going to need more support directly from the federal government, you know, and that's where Congress needs to step in and, and act. And one other thing that we'll be paying close attention to is when or even if in the next couple of months, Congress can return to Washington, D.C. and sort of act in the way that it did before the pandemic hit with committee hearings and bill markups. Um, But it sounds like for now, uh, lawmakers are planning to continue working remotely until it's safe. House Appropriations Chairwoman Nita Lowy was on C-SPAN this morning. Let's take a listen to what she said about when and how Congress will return. Unless it's safe, I think we're better off doing our work as we've been doing, passing bills by unanimous consent, and hopefully there is a bipartisan will to really focus on what we need and leave partisan politics aside. So a lot of moving pieces this week that we will continue reporting on our CQ and roll call. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Okay, and that does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us an email at cqpodcast at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. The CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. And you can stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week.